And so that ability to see those cultural differences in others as assets and not as something that needs to be tolerated, um, that's extremely important. Not only does that create for a more equitable school environment, but when we look at ourselves as a society, you know, how different life might be if we saw each other as assets, regardless of what we bring to the table. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores how we can help make an impact on our nation's highest growing student demographic, multilingual learners. Welcome to part two of our two-part series with Sandra Medrano Arroyo. Sandra presently works at Elevation Education as the dual language instructional content specialist, where she has spearheaded the creation of two new instructional practices specific to the needs of dual language programs. In over 23 years in education, she has served the needs of emergent bilinguals and various subgroups in a number of roles, teacher, academic coordinator, school director, recruiter, instructional specialist, and program planner. She's really done it all. Prior to Elevation, Sandra served as the manager of multicultural education for the 11th largest school district in the United States, overseeing the ESOL program for over 34,000 students, including a two-way dual language program that served over 9,000 students. Since 2016, she has also served as a PD consultant for the National Association for Bilingual Education. In part two of our conversation with Sandra, we discuss how we can help colleagues, families, and community members become better advocates for dual language programs, what it means to truly embrace biliteracy, and why embracing bilingualism is good for all students. As always, thanks for listening. Enjoy part two of our two-part conversation with my colleague, Sandra Medrano Arroyo. You know, we talk a lot about asset-based learning and look at multi, looking at multilingual learners um, as assets. And we talk about it generally, not just with dual language programs. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic about this sort of focus on, on equity and, and what we're seeing now. How have you seen dual language programs provide equitable access to educational experiences and support that asset-based approach to educating multilingual learners and really all, all learners? Like, where does that play mm-hmm. out for you and how does a dual language program specifically achieve that, those goals? It's funny because having been involved in dual language programs for so long, of course, I see the dual language programs as the easiest way to provide equitable access, the easiest solution to tapping into those incredible assets that our multilingual learners bring to our schools. And it's funny, but you turn around and you say, how do other people don't see that? That's right. So that's right. <laughs> that's right. It's such a devil's advocate question, but there are like someone's <laughs> listening and it's probably not somebody listening to this podcast right now. I worry that I'm preaching to the choir in this echo chamber a lot, but the person that's listening probably has to convince someone else of it. So take on, take that perspective. How does somebody, how does somebody convince someone a naysayer that this is the path toward equity? Absolutely. So well, let's start with the fact that one of the pillars of, we we'll go back to our pillars, right? One of our pillars of the program is sociocultural competences. And so that ability to see those cultural differences in others as assets and not as something that needs to be tolerated, um, that's extremely important. Not only does that create for a more equitable school environment, but when we look at ourselves as a society, you know, how different life might be mm-hmm. if we saw each other as assets, regardless of what we bring to the table. And so a program like a dual language program that supports that asset-based approach, and as you said, to educate all learners, our multilingual learners, our SIFE kids, our newcomers, our native English speakers, 
um, provides that opportunity for teachers, for families, for students, uh, stakeholders to receive and discuss cultural education, which doesn't really happen much, unfortunately. There's, there seems to not be enough time for topics of conversation such as those. Um, but yet in a dual language program, that has to be a part of the program. You have to create school-wide language policies. Where do you speak Spanish? Um, you know, unfortunately, that answer differs from school to school. Mm -hmm. Your language policy in a school that has a mixed, a diverse demographic should be, you can speak Spanish anywhere uh, at any time, and it's always going to be welcomed. Right? And so if that's, if that's not asset-based, I don't know. Yeah, right. Be, right? right. <laughs> and then again, creating that whole advocacy piece. So now we're teaching our kids to become advocates for each other. We're teaching our teachers that it's okay to have those conversations about culture and find out more about your kids and tap into that um, and do so in a meaningful way, not just celebrating, you know, bring in your favorite food or who's your favorite singer, or bring in a poster of your country's flag. It's really going deep and getting to know what are the cultures, what are the traditions of that culture, uh, folklore, comparing stories between, you know, our classics and classics from other countries. Right. How do they differ? And how are they the same? You know, and so that's the beauty of a dual language program because everyone is working together to strengthen the program while we're tapping into all of the assets that our kids and families bring. Right. Yeah. You know, you just, you just brought something up that I actually want to get a little bit more specific on and that's like embracing particularly biliteracy. And as somebody who, um, you know, I, I had the, I had the pleasure of teaching, um, AP Spanish language, but also AP Spanish uh, literature and culture, which, I remember very clearly when they told me in the summer that the person who was teaching the class was leaving and that I, they, I, they were asking me to do it. I remember being horrified because I was looking at this giant list of this rich literature starting way back, you know, in Spain in like the 14th century with the romances and then going all the way to, you know, the 20th century with Garcia Marquez and everything. And I was like, how am I going to, but anyway, it turned out, I digress. It turned out to be one of the best professional experiences of my life. And when we were reading all of those works, right, in Spanish with students who were learning Spanish, we were, I had a great relationship with some of the English teachers and we were comparing those works and it was such a beautiful and rich experience. And you know what? There were more similarities than there were differences and the differences made it so beautiful and wonderful. So my question is, how do we get people to embrace that? You know, comparing, putting Faulkner and Garcia Marquez or Shakespeare and Quixote in the same, on the same level, first of all, in the same playing field and, and using them to really promote that biliteracy piece. And, and this, I'm asking you, this is in relation to dual language, right? But this could really apply anywhere and in any kind of educational program, um, because being exposed to that authentic literature um, is, is amazing. I mean, I can't imagine somebody having to uh, sort of break down rather than reading it. Um, it's just, it was such a, you can hear my voice, such an amazing experience. So how do we, how do we leverage that or pull that lever and get people to really appreciate those similarities and differences? Wow. I could answer this question for the rest of the podcast now. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Cause I could too. 
<laughs> we don't have, we don't have too many questions left, so you can take some time I, on this one. Okay. Well, I love first of all, I love the fact that you you and your teachers had that those took that time to actually review the literature and note similarities and differences. And I love the fact that you noticed that there were so many similarities. The beauty of uh, creating by literate children is that we are able to then dive into those differences, mm-hmm. those similarities. This is great because your English teacher will cover that, you know, but as you're uh, the Spanish AP teacher, for example, you had to deep do a deep dive into what was different. Right. So nuances of the language. And, you know, just as we have old English, well, we have words that are no longer used in Spanish mm-hmm. either, that they transformed throughout you know, the years and the centuries. Um, and really looking at that is what helps to create that biliterate and bilingual person. Um, and I think that one of the greatest ways that we can really have others embrace that by literacy is putting kids, I always say that kids tell the best stories, right? So putting your students in situations in which they can showcase their skills. And so if we provide them with these opportunities, and again, I'm not talking a nice little show during the holiday break or the end of the year, I'm talking about Creating community partnerships, for example, in which our kids are able to use their linguistic assets to enrich the community, yep. to give back to the community. That's powerful because these kids will wear their school shirt or something that identifies them as a student of the district. And people will ask, where did you learn your Spanish? Or how did you keep your Haitian Creole? They tell the best stories. And so we tried to do a lot of that in our district. Um, We had a collaboration, for example, with a museum here in the city and our high school students became student docents. Takes a while to plan those things Mm -hmm. and kids need a very specific level of proficiency. But regardless of their level of proficiency, they were all given that opportunity to become student docents working with businesses so our kids could become student interns. You know, there's a lot of businesses that are not prepared for changing demographics. They have no bilingual staff. Right, right. Teaching isn't the only industry in which we're lacking bilingual people. (laughs) It's everywhere. And so to be able to develop those internships with businesses and our kids can do a work study program and become interns. And again, tap into their bilingualism. That is huge that will definitely convince the non-believers, we'll call them, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that teaching two language, teaching in two languages is truly rigorous, but it's not easy. And our kids have gone through this program and they have succeeded and they're going, those are going to be our global citizens. What, what you're saying is, is so powerful. <clears throat> and when I hear, uh, and I hear it frequently, these kinds of, it's about community partnerships and getting students out there and filling a void that the community has. That is amazing for the student. And oftentimes as teachers and as educators and as advocates, we think about the students first and we should. But what that is doing for the community, not only to help fill a void at a museum or at a store or whatever the case may be, but also in just creating a uh, uh more not only tolerance but partnerships 
and collaboration and seeing that the assets that people bring, it's so powerful. And it always brings me back to one of the first podcasts I think I had ever done uh, for Elevation. It was with a woman by the name of Donna Neary. She was from Lexington, Kentucky, and she worked. I tell the story a lot. So forgive me if you've heard this story and you're listening now, but I'm going to tell it again. Um, she, she, she worked with students who were newcomers who were in danger of not graduating on time. They were going to age out. So she had this program called Accelerate to Graduate. I think it was called that. And she tells this story uh, and I'll find it and we'll link to it somehow. She tells this story about, um, about when these students were going to work with members of the Department of Public Works to help like spruce up a park, right? And they were in the park, they were creating this, this, uh, I think it was like a grill or an oven or something where people could kind of cook outside. And this one young man who uh, I don't remember where he was from, but he, he had done this in his home country and they had created these clay things. And he looked at the gentleman who is a, who is a, a, a guy from the account of, of who I was speaking with, who didn't really have much experience working with newcomers and was probably living, you know, in a bit of a, a bit of a silo and not had much experience with the diversity. He then asked the student questions, was very patient with him and the student answered the, and they worked together to create this new thing. I mean, okay. what you're talking about is it creates those opportunities. They're not going to happen every single time, right? But they are going to happen enough where, where we're going to see change. And so you're talking about the structure, but like those stories, those that, that are happening on a daily basis when things like this are created, they're so, so, so powerful for both. I mean, for, for, for both people who are involved. I mean, I have to think that that man, that his, his, his mindset maybe was 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 changed in some way. He had an experience. He worked with somebody face to face who he normally would not. And I mean, what a beautiful thing. Absolutely. It's a newfound respect for someone that he probably developed, you know, and and unfortunately, we all have our biases. And again, I can't speak for that individual, but so often we'll enter a uh, a conversation or a situation uh, and we have our biases they may not be there at the forefront, but we have them. And to be able to go and experience that firsthand, not read about it, not hear about it, but experience it mm -hmm. firsthand, suddenly that bias, you can begin to kind of, um, you know, peel away those layers and realize, oh, wow, I was wrong. You know, as an individual, I was wrong about somebody else. Right. Or I judged incorrectly or, you know, and, and, and I have limited myself from learning so much from others. And so I think those are very powerful and transformational moments. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Well, I, we've, I have learned a tremendous amount um, from you, Sandra, not only today, but in the time that I've been at Elevation, but you've really, you have a way of being able to break things down, I think in a way that people not only can understand, but then take hopefully and use to convince others that um, these kinds of changes need to happen. So I have to ask you, this is not a question that I ask everybody, but um, what what brought you here? What brought you to, to, to Elevation? I mean, this wealth of knowledge that you have has been so useful for us, but what made you make this change? Well, anytime I've made a change in my life is always because I think of the greater good, right? So I, I was in a classroom and I loved what I was doing in the classroom. But then when I was offered to become an administrator of a school, I thought, oh, wow, I can make change on a bigger level, right? <laughs> and then eventually I was at a district level. And so once again, I can make change on a greater level. And so the same thing happened with Elevation. 
I can now make change. My voice can be heard. For example, here's a perfect example. Today's podcast Mm -hmm. on a national level. I have that opportunity to reach and support because that's, that's the biggest, I think, for me personally, that's the reason I went into education and to be able to help others. We go back to what I always knew I had to do right, right. <laughs> since I was very young, help others. And so to be able to support teachers, to find a role in elevation in which not only I could use everything I had learned and experienced as a dual language administrator, but then by the same token, use that knowledge now and help people on a national level and support our teachers to help our kids I thought that was like a perfect combination for me as my next level. Um, And so, and it's been a great, great opportunity. I've authored strategies for dual language. I love seeing them on Twitter (laughs) when our teachers post that they do them. Um, It has been fantastic. I I do not regret the, the the difference in role is huge, but I don't regret at all having made that change. Um, simply because, you know, again, we go back to elevation is mission driven. And so we, as someone who is guided by a very specific mission as well, I think it aligned. We aligned well. <laughs> I'd say so. I, we're, to, to, to say the least, we're very lucky to have you. And uh, a lot yeah. of the, a lot of the uh, things that you just said are similar for me, and I, I have no regrets either. Um, and it's just, I'm so lucky to be able to chat with people like you and amplify your voices. So I'm really glad I asked that question. I thought, is this an appropriate question to ask on this part? But I think it absolutely was. So uh, I appreciate you giving me, uh, giving us that, that, that answer. So last question, this is a question that people know that I ask everybody who comes on. And um, what we do is we compile a list of books and resources that then we share before uh, folks head off for the summer. So they have a list that they can read if they want to use it. So the question is, is there a book or a resource that's influenced you either personally or professionally that you'd like to share? Absolutely. So I've already said that if you need more research on dual language, you've got to read the guiding principles for dual language education. I walked around schools with that all the time in my bag, um, simply because not only does it guide those decisions, but it gives you the research behind it. And so it's a fantastic book, quite adaptable. You can adapt it to your PLCs, to your faculty meetings, to your parent education nights. Um, and then also when you sit down and you plan with your team of leaders at the school. So that, that's book number one um, for the field of uh, dual language. And so I've been reading a couple of books, you know, I, <laughs> I start reading and then I drop and then I pick up another book and then I drop that one. (laughs) I just keep going back and forth. Yeah. 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 I know what it's like. I came across um, through my work with NABE because I do a lot of work for um, NABE, which is again, National Association of Bilingual Education and great book for school leaders. It's called Beyond Conversations About Race. And it's, I call it a how-to guide simply because it's broken up. You know, it aligns so well with me because I mentioned what does this look like is what always guides my decisions. And so this book is one of those, what does it look like? So when you're going to have these difficult conversations, what does that look like? What does that sound like? And how do I even begin? Right. And so every chapter is kind of like a how to, and it's scenario based, which helps a lot when you're building, um, when you're building that, that knowledge base for our teachers to feel confident. Um, The other how to book that I I even gave it to my son, who's a school leader, is um, Beyond Crisis, 
Mm-hmm. And that one was written by three incredible researchers. And it is the perfect, it's one of those books that came out of the perfect time, right after the pandemic. The now what? We're going back to school. And now what are we going to do? What are we going to face? How are we going to use what we've learned to create stronger school communities and partner, continue this partnership with the community as a whole, which taps into a lot of what we've discussed tonight. And then I just picked up um, Advancing Equity in Dual Language Education, a Guide for Leaders. I haven't touched that one, but I can tell as I leafed through it that it's going to be one of my favorite books. Yep. (laughs) I'll let you know how that one goes. Great. So as you, I usually, I ask, I ask people this question all the time and they always give me, you know, two to four books. So you didn't stray from that tradition, which is great. And that's good. good. We'll, we'll put, we'll link to those so that people can find them. Um, And with that, Sandra, it's been, I mean, we've had lots of conversations as colleagues, but this has been uh, really eye-opening for me. I've learned a lot. I hope listeners have as well. Really appreciate the work you do. And I'm, I'm really glad um, to, to, to call you a colleague here at Elevation. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for uh, enlightening, helping me enlighten others and uh, enlightening me also. I think it's the questions that you ask are very thought provoking. And and sometimes we need that time to kind of reflect on why we do what we do. I agree. Thank you. It's my pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.